Hey everyone, welcome to the Metrology Today podcast. My name is Ryan Egbert and I am your host today. And this podcast is part two of the panel discussion revolving around the risk issues in the industry. If you haven't listened to the first episode, please go back one episode and listen to part one or else it won't make sense because this literally picks up in the middle of that discussion. And then next week, next Thursday, will be the the follow-on discussion involving Greg Sanker, who is going to be added to the discussion. So please mark your calendars. Look forward to that one as well. And I appreciate all of you listening. And thank you for your patience. Been on the road on the road constantly. That's what's been causing the the delays. We've been producing a lot of new material for our school, for Sign Calibration School. So I appreciate all of your patience, and I appreciate all of your feedback so far. the The feedback has been fantastic, and I look forward to future feedback. With that being said, without further ado, onward to the the rest of the panel discussion. This podcast was brought to you in part by CalLab Solutions, the creators of Metrology.net. Are you tired of rewriting software to match your lab standards? In Metrology.net, you just run it with the standards that you have. That's just one of the many ways we are building better software. To find out more, visit us online at Metrology.net. Um, can I bring lab 48 in? Cause this is something Henry actually clued me in on. Yeah. I love fun. LAV lab 48 for the most part. LAB it's one 48. of those. Other, it's so first, document you know, and it's free so, to download. Yeah. It so is. let's talk about, I love that you guys bring up so many different resources. So talk about what mm-hmm. LAB 48 is and, uh, where to find it and, and things like that. Sure. Um, it's the UCAS document, United Kingdom accreditation service. And, I got it from their website. It's downloadable from ucast.com and I don't know the extension. If you if, if you just type in your favorite search browser, UCAS Lab 48, you'll, it'll come up with the PDF download. It's free. And the title of the document is Decision Rules and Statements of Conformity. And it's still in draft. That's I have a copy of the draft 2019. Is that correct, Henry? Has it been officially? I think it's a, it's, it's, I, I believe, uh, the official is edition two, February twenty twenty. I do okay, not. So I do is. have an older copy. Yeah, the the, the uh, official release version is out there. Then I just haven't fetched it yet. Uh, so did that answer your question, Ryan? Because that is an interesting yeah. question. How does one obtain these resources? Where do you find these resources? If if we're going to push education, well, uh, what uh, documents are we going to say? Hey, you need to read this. Well, there's also, I mean, it goes pretty deep because I taught block one in the Navy Marine Corps school and we didn't, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't necessarily focus on the VIM or uh, mm-hmm. the gum or anything like that. I think it was mentioned or it was listed in references, but in general, you know, that's not something that is taught. And so that's something, of course, we focus on in, in our school, but a lot of these resources that you guys that, uh, that are you know, experts in the field know about a lot of these guys don't even know they exist. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to that first question that I had earlier, you know, and when you see people kind of just like putting up a stone wall and saying, no, nope, we go with 17025. That's a UK standard. You know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the many discussions I've had with Henry and the ones even on the podcast where I, I mentioned, you know, not just uh, E74, but also, you know, the, the European standard and is it important to know it? And, you know, Henry made a good point. Yeah. Even you may, may not have to adhere to it for your processes. The stuff in the annex is amazing, you know? So just being aware of these standards isn't mean you're Mm -hmm. having to jump ship from 17025, but it's also being aware of the way some of the other places out there that could be doing things better than us. I mean, why why are we always assuming that we all, we have it all locked down, you know? Because we're Americans, that's why. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, 
we we don't but it, it there's 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 a there's a lot with to have some pride in what we do uh, sure. you mm-hmm. know we're still on you yeah. know people say hey we're you're not si we're still english customary but you know you know ryan travis we weigh our drugs in si units we weigh them by the gram the kilogram now nah, just <laughs> but, if, yeah. but if we think about it like it's funny right you, you sell gas by the gallon but drugs are weighed in grams and kilograms and, mm. and everything so it, it is funny but it, it's uh liz gentry at uh elizabeth gentry and she changed her name I, I hate that i don't know the the new the new name but she's at uh off the top of my head she's at nist and she she does a lot of education on you know like these english customary units are just the top of the iceberg and if you dig deeper it's all traceable back to SI, but you hit something and I want to come back to it is, is why is the uh, measurement uncertainty uh, really important? And it's, if we go back and you said the VIM, if you go back to the VIM, the VIM states property of a measurement result, whereby the result can be related to a reference through a documented unbroken chain of calibrations, each contributing to the measurement uncertainty. So Mm -hmm. if one lab gets it wrong, every lab after them is making measurements that subject that consumer, if, if it's going to the consumer, to risk. The chain is weak or broken. Yep. It's weak or broken, completely yep. weak or broken. And for those that want these documents, NIST has documents. NIST, NIST has a lot on their website. Uh, they have, so, some will find the gum very difficult to read. Uh, so NIST made a technical mm-hmm. note, 1297. It's on their website. It's, you know, you don't have to sort through, you know, a ton of statistical formulas and everything else. They, they try to boil it down. A lot of the European standards, they have Eurochem standards that simplify things. There's all the ILAC standards are available for free to free to download. Uh, if you want a, a plug to NCSLI, membership for NCSLI is not that expensive. You can get, go on their site if you if you join and download all their documents. ASTM, I think the membership is under a couple hundred bucks per year. You can go on and download all those a lot of the standards uh, for that membership. So they're out there. Some some cost, some do not. A lot of free resources. You know, people people mm-hmm. write papers and and other resources. Be wary of the papers, though. Um, uh, as a person that writes them, and and Travis is a person that writes them as well. We all we all write these papers, and we try to do it with the best intentions. Though some manufacturers do it with the intention to to convey their point and their agenda, and that's where you have to be wary of really wary of of what what are what are they actually saying if you go to nasa and read a nasa tech briefs and read a technical paper are they trying to sell me something or are they actually trying to help me understand something and that's mm-hmm. sometimes that line is hard to it's hard to differentiate right if they have a lot of facts and figures i think the three of us yeah. can universally agree that the world is not flat correct yes yes I'm, I'm, you I'm can go you. online and these are amazing documents. You can go online and pull like almost standard like documents with formulas and everything else by the mm-hmm. flat Experiments earth. Experiments and tests and data and charts. Yep. That will tell you that the earth is flat. Yep. So just be wary. I mean, there's a lot of good people out there writing a lot of good stuff. But you, again, yeah. but I could prove you flat earth. I could give you statistics and some other things with flat earth, climate change. I, there's climate change papers out there that say we don't do statistically, we make zero difference as a society that the earth is going to do this uh, regardless. And that we, you know, to think that us as humans can do anything is, is, is ridiculous. Hey, if you're on that side of the fence, great. Uh, it's just, it just a lot of people, a lot of scientists aren't. So again, it just, it just, the example is just be wary of what you read and, and know the source and, and hopefully you can trust that source. Yeah. And as you develop more and more education, this, this is what I found through experience as well. Uh, you'll learn to understand where people are coming from, what angles they're taking and how to filter out the bad material. So again, that's, uh, I can't stress it enough. Education is the key there. Right. It, it, I kind of wanted to wrap back around uh, also to something that you guys were just talking about with the accreditations, because I think, um, I mean, they, there's a lot of things that they're, they're doing very well. Um, but is there an issue? Well, I guess there is because there's a couple articles that I've heard are coming out that are pointing to the, the differences between uncertainties, uh, approved and accredited through 
different accreditation bodies, but also inside of it, you know, incre- uh, accreditation bodies for the same mm-hmm. measurements, same standards, same type of thing, but there's, they're different, you know, they're different from each other. So is there also an issue in the way that some of these things are being looked at? Yeah, I mean, all the accreditation, uh, all the accreditation bodies are have to pass their own accreditation, right? But when you think about it, uh, I, I'm going to divert a little bit here, Ryan. When you think about it, you're sure. going to send one or two auditors to come out and do some scopes that are pages and pages, and not everybody can be an expert. If you sent me out to audit a pressure laboratory, I know enough to ask a few questions. I, I don't know that discipline well. I, I'm I've started taking mm-hmm. your uh, course on it because I want to learn more. Does but we don't we don't do that. That's, that's not your expertise. And I, you know, I love Jim Collins book, good to great. You know, what can you be the best in the world out? What are you passionate about? And, and right now our company is passionate about force and torque measurements and educating, educating users. You know, that's why my time is coming on here. The, you know, again, I, I don't want to divert too much into, so, so these people that are coming out, uh, the point is they're coming out and they may, they may be really, really experts in, you know, some disciplines, but to do a full scope with, with how many pages of this, they're just not going to get, they're not going to know it all. And maybe that's part of the problem. I I don't know. I I don't know. They do, they do a really good job with what they have, most of them, but it's, it is an inconsistency, right? We know across this, you know, you know, you can look and you can see someone else is getting a pass where someone else had, had an auditor that came in and, and, and wrote them up. So that's why I, I like wonder, the nu- nuclear audits. We used to, we, we, we were audited by NUPIC. They'd send six people, six to eight people in a company that's 20 to 30 people and spend a week with us and go and churn through everything. That was like, you know, I, I say our accreditation audit is, is kind of like a pat down. You know, that was the full body cavity exam and everything <laughs> else that you never, that you never want uh, when you're, when, you know, when you're being frisk or whatever situation you're at. This is turning into the drug frisking conversation you know, and uh, law, but uh, in, in, in general, you know, it's just, there's not enough resources to catch everything. And every, every audit I can say has been that we've had with our accrediting body has been good because we've learned things and we've come out better. So uh, that new pick audit was one of the, is always one of the best ones. It's a pain because you got to, you know, six to eight people in your company for a full week really disrupts production though. At the end of it, we were better. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't have an ax to grind at all with uh, accreditation bodies. I've never been an assessor, but it brings, a, I, I feel like it's a fair question to ask. And and I don't, I'm curious, and obviously I'd have to bring someone on that would know more about this, but I, I'm guessing they might be a little overwhelmed. Maybe they don't have enough assessors out there. Is that, have you guys heard anything about that? I haven't heard anything about them. Hmm. No, I'm, I think I'm curious. Have- I think they have assessors, but they're at all all different levels of competence depending on the parameter. And it's not a knock on the assessor. It's just it's just you no. you have X number of labs getting accredited, and you only have so many that have notched. I know I know assessors that just it's a shame that some of the best ones out there are are older and retiring, and it's and it really it sucks. Uh, it sucks for industry. And some of the ones out there uh, that I did know that are no longer with us, there were some that were notoriously people would just kick them out of their labs because they went with the mindset, we're going to write 30 to 50. I'm going to come into this lab and I'm going to find efficiencies and write them. No one wants that, right? right. No, right. no, no commercial laboratory wants somebody that's just going to go in there and rip apart their documentation and say, you should do this, you should do that without sound, mer- you know, without sound metrological merit. So if I'm deficient, let me know. We had one deficiency and it was because we, the, the standard changed and it was because we did not have a separate calibration uh, date as we did as a report issued date. That was our deficiency. Is, does that, as far as risk goes, does that, is that going to make somebody, you know, less comfortable to step on an airplane? Is that going to make a, a, you know, no. is that, is there any risk involved? No, there's not. Minor minor very minor it's just it's it's just yeah i'll put my oar in the water about assessment and and auditing if i could ever so gently yes, uh, we please. go through a lot of auditing though we are not ourselves accredited and uh, let me assure you the loss of life industries just like what henry said get thoroughly audited we we've got uh 
I can't name all of the assessors that we've had cycled through our facility, but we're very proud of our calibration system. And we've, we've passed uh, the entire year of 2020. I forget how many dozens of audits we had and we passed every last one of them. Um, but as for 17025 accreditation and assessment, first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to take a poke at the standard itself being too risky of a standard. Uh, and then I'm also going to echo, you definitely know that there's difference in assessors slash auditors, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but there, there's one document that came out. We, we started back with this lab 48 from UCAS and it, it's funny on one hand, but it's a poke in the eye to what I think is the U S accreditation system. In in one of the appendixes, it talks about, and I quote, the problem with decision rules that do not take account of measurement uncertainty. And I quote, we well, suppose they stay here. There's a, there's a statement in here in the introductory paragraph that says, some people argue that it is possible to take account by ignoring it, if that is what the customer requests. However, this seems to require a rather contradictory belief that you can be both doing something by not doing something. Is it possible to obey a red stoplight by not obeying a red stoplight? Unquote. That, to me, is a poke in the eye of the accreditation bodies in the U.S. that allowed certain labs to do a line item veto. And I'm going to go back to the older 2007 standard. It says you must take uncertainty into account when you make a conformity statement. And when I fold up my first calibration report that said, when making a statement of conformity, we did not take uncertainty into account, I scratched my head and I said, wait a half second. These guys passed an audit and they're doing a line item veto out of the standard. The standard says take uncertainty into account, but we don't take uncertainty into account. That's horrid. If we had the FAA in our lab and we tried to do that with AS9100, we'd be shut down. <laughs> so what is it with the assessment process in the U.S. that allows line item veto? I don't know, but it needs to stop. And, and the UCAS knows it too. And, and this statement here, how the heck are you going to obey a stoplight by not obeying it, guys? Uh, I think that's pointed right back at the U.S. accreditation process. I love it. I, lo I love that saying. And it's, it's, it is it's full of snark. It is it, what it is. In a good British so, way. Yeah. So as, yeah, as so, yeah. So what do we do to fix it? Well, I'm not a, a, a customer of the any accreditation bodies. Uh, so all I can do is call them up and say, hey, I, I think we had a problem with this lab. They didn't take uncertainty into account. And you know what they're going to answer? Well, that's allowed. Uh, so finally, this LAB, and now that the, the 2017 revision has come out, it has a little bit different language. The, the only leg I have to stand on is, well, we didn't agree on that. They didn't ask us if that was okay as a decision rule. Uh, and, and so we do have half a leg to stand on now. Well, you have but, the ILAC leg to stand on, the P14 leg to stand on that that just at, at the beginning of this that I just read the memo. Yeah. That says it, measurement well, uncertainty must, must there's no sh should, measurement uncertainty must be reported on all accreditation, uh, accredited calibration certs. And Ryan had reported. just on. Yeah, must be reported. Be reported. That's different. It's That's different not a decision rule. No. G8, ILAC G8. Again, a free download. I, I do not like that document. Why? Because it advocates for the usage of a simple decision rule, and that is not taking measurement uncertainty into account. And I've had a lot of people push back on me. 17025, I'm, I'm doing a decision rule per ILAC G8, Travis. See? So there. And I'm going, that's a bunch of hooey because that very statement not taking uncertainty into account is not following the guidelines, uh, is not following the standard. Furthermore, G8 says you can use a non-binary decision rule which I, you know, I, I wish we could have an, uh, a moderated debate with somebody that was on the ILAC committee. I would love that. I, I want a judge and jury. When I read 17025 and it says in 7862, laboratory shall report on the statement of conformity such that the statement clearly identifies B, which specifications, standards, or parts thereof are met or not met. That's binary, guys. There's, there's no allowance of pass indeterminate or uh, I forget what the other one is, but it's a non-binary and that's what ILAC G8 advocates for. And I'm going, that's not allowed by the standard. And everybody I've talked to who's an accreditation lab is like, well, yeah, but G8 allows that. I'm going, well, You're not accredited to G8. <laughs> hmm. So the usage of non-binary uh, non decision rules is another 
burr under my saddle, as you can clearly tell by me getting agitated. It's not allowed per the standard. You know what that's saying? Pass, maybe. Pass, we think. You figure it out. And, and that can't be passed down. It, our calibration, we have to determine what the as-found condition was, and that is a binary decision. Was it in or out of tolerance? Do I need to notify my user or do I not need to notify my user because they were using an instrument that was either in or out of tolerance? Um, gosh, so I went down that rabbit hole kind of deep, Ryan. I hope that was all right. No, this is a no, good rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, hey, this is a good rabbit hole, Travis, because this is this is yeah. one that 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 I'm not in full agreement with. I, I'm in mostly agreement with. Though, okay, so you're going to make a statement of conform conformity. You're going to say pass. What's difficult mm -hmm. to do as a lab is to say something fails, right? Because it's really this is where the end user. If if, if we're saying it doesn't pass. It really is up to the end user to say, hey, you know what, did I did I specify this tolerance? You know, I know the manufacturer says it's 0.1%, but on my scope, I'm claiming 0.2. I've done r and &R, I've done almost everything I need to do. And I've, I've built in a little bit of wiggle room just for these scenarios. So that's where that's where I think it's it's difficult to just clearly clearly say fail i will agree that you should never say you know pass and this indeterminate pass is 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 another one that i'm you know maybe not so far but but they're basically mm -hmm. saying you should really only fail anything when it's tolerance plus this uncertainty and then we're not all in agree we're not all in agreement on what the uncertainty actually is so that's that's where i have a little bit more debate to say hey we we used method five and it and it and it um it it didn't pass. Use method mm -hmm. six. Maybe it passes. The right thing to do is have the discussion with the customer. Though, if the customer already told us to use method five, do we really want to go down that rabbit hole where we're, we're changing methods just to have something pass? Just point of clarity, just so that, the, that your uh, watchers know, this method five and method six that you're advocating for, Henry, that's the guard banding method out of Z540.3 handbook, correct? Correct. Yeah, those are the ones. Yeah. Hey, there's a lot of decision rules out there. The, the the only document I know that has really good published ones is that dot uh, three handbook. There's a lot of other mm -hmm. ones out there. A lot of people have written papers, test limit squared, all kinds of ones out there. But again, how do you go as a lab? How do you go back to to decision if somebody just made up a decision rule and said, hey, if it's uh, Wednesday that uh, I, I want this? I mean, I'm being ridiculous, but uh, that's why I like <laughs> the NCC 540.3 standard because you're Otherwise, you'll yeah. have people making up their own decision rules. Yep. So, so we kind of diverge on the idea of binary decision, uh, binary conformity statements. Is that what you're saying, then, Henry? Kind of. I, I get. No, I wanted. I wanted to get your opinion on on that because mm -hmm. because again, it it th this one does. As a Cal Lab, if you if you're not going to say it passes, right, you're just going to say, look, whatever it does not it does not pass, right. But we're not going to clearly state it fails because we don't know all of your end conditions and if this is a situation that you should be doing uh, a mass recall or not. Is that fair? Not really. Uh, again, a, a fail is a fail and a pass is a pass. And when I get that instrument, so I'm going to put myself in, in your chair. We're, we're doing internal calibrations for our customers, say it's the production mm -hmm. line, and, and we get a meter and it's out of tolerance. I'm not going to send that meter back to my user and say, hey, this might have been a fail. You need to look into it. I'm going to say it was a fail or a pass. That's why I exist. <laughs> I'm the calibration lab. I determine pass or fail. And at that point, I know there's different adjustment policies amongst the industry, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, but with regards to reporting pass or fail, that to me is a black or white, especially specifically, excuse me, specifically if you have a decision rule spelled out clearly. Uh, because I have heard people in the past advocate for a non-binary conformity statement, even with a decision rule. And I, that's flat out wrong. What's the purpose of a decision rule? How to report the conformity. <laughs> so why are you saying, pass, we don't know? Well, I gave you instructions on how to you know or not. So why are you telling me pass indeterminate? Um, so again, and it's built, it's built into our calibration system. Our recall system doesn't allow for a, a non-binary statement. It's, it's a cut or dry. It's a pass or a fail. It's a one or a zero. Uh, and that is when I pass it on to my customers, they have the same issue. If I handed you your passport to the airplane 
and a book of test data from Boeing and said, here's your test data. We think it passed. You make the call whether you want to get on the airplane or not. Of course, of course, I'm not going to do that. That's that's absurd. I, I pay you to make sure I'm kept safe. And so that 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 pass indeterminate, fail indeterminate can only be passed down so long before the gatekeepers of safety have to say clearly a, a binary pass or fail. We can't just keep passing that down. And that, that goes with many other aspects of, of this discussion as well. Like, how do you take resolution into account? I can't just keep passing that down. My users, sure, they'll take it into account. What do you, you want me to pass measurement data over to Boeing and say, here, here's all our measurement data for this box. You take uncertainty. You, you calculate the uncertainty. You take your own resolution of your airplane into account. Of course not. They pay us to make a pass or fail. Um, so, so this, this buck stopping somewhere, I guess, is my, is my ultimate point. I'm probably rambling on too much. No, this is, oh, no, this is, this is where you and I, I love these discussions. I, I personally love them because your point is, is very well made. My, my point, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit counter to, to it because I'm very, very concerned that if we go down this path, that people are just going to say, well, just, just go give me simple acceptance then. When, how, mm-hmm. when will it pass, right? Well, it'll pass if we don't take measurement uncertainty into account. Okay, I'll document it and have, have do that. <laughs> oh, it will, it'll pass if we use a different method than we originally agreed on. Okay, do that. And that's so where- There's something that your little, customers don't like about a failing unit. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what all of us are hearing. So, so it's a balancing mm-hmm. act, right? Uh, I certainly would love to just make it black and white. Personally, on our equipment, I'll make it black and white all day long. But on something that someone's submitting for calibration and you have the discussion with them, it's it's kind of deciding, right? If if we say, hey, it, this does not meet your P, we're reporting PFA. So if we say your probability of false accept is 50.3% and it goes out the door, they should they need to understand that number. But if they're okay with it at the end of the like I said, maybe, maybe they're saying, I, I hey, I'd like you to do a 0.1%, but in actuality, my engineers and everybody kind of kind of figured that we're we're claiming. 0.5% and we're going to be okay all day long. Mm-hmm. We started with ILAC G8 or ILAC, we were talking about ILAC G8. 2009, yeah. blatant, the 2009 standard recommended using method five. So, and we talked about how people on committees, manufacturers are influencing mm-hmm. things. I'm not saying that happened, but ILAC G8 2009 is vastly different than ILAC G8 2019. And 2009 is much more conservative, and it actually recommends hmm. Method 5. Hmm. Method 5 of? ANSI Z540 handbook, or okay. dot three handbook. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a whole word twister, right? ANSI, ANSI NCSLI Z540.3 handbook. There's longer standards, <laughs> but that's uh, uh And then you always, you know, NCSLI became, it was NCSL when it was published, I believe, and then they added the I later. So it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yes, yeah, do national, re- international. Yeah, do you remember the 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 2009 standard? I mean, I never I never really had issues with uh, the 2009, and then I, I will agree with you on 19 with binary uh, decision that it's 2009. A- I didn't review that that version of the standard. I was pretty still wet behind the years in 2009 as far as metrology is concerned. Right. So. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, in my point of view, I thought 2009 was, 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 was really, really good. There's probably some things in there that you, you may not like. Uh, however, it, it was, it was much more on the conservative end of things. Mm-hmm. I we, still think we, if I were in front of a judge and jury and I brought 7862, your statement of conformity has to tell me what specifications are met or not met. Case closed. Yeah, and how many people are doing that? Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a, as many issues with them reporting a, a non-binary statement. There, there's a few biggies that stick out in my mind, uh, instrument OEMs that do that. Uh, but by and large, I, I don't see a whole lot of it. But it's still a problem. I uh, just had one a few weeks ago, actually. came across my desk. And how many people are okay with the and, and what's what what risk are we going to agree on? Are we going to agree on a five percent risk, two percent, ten percent? What's acceptable? That's yeah. That's that's a that's a problem too because it, we're talking about uneducated customers. How are, if they're mm-hmm. uneducated on this? How are they going to know what what risk is acceptable to them or not? So it's it is a yeah. can of worms. 
And we're going to work is, on especially that especially for as well. the uneducated customers. We're we're working on a free program that will be available to customers, but it will take time to get that out there, you know. But uh, it but, is it's an incredible issue, though. It is, and I like I said, I yeah. I love the I love the black and white. I don't want to disagree with this. I I just know what other people do and what the ask are, and it's trying to trying to weave your way into the middle of this, and and and, and kind of saying kind of saying like i know what's there this this simple not saying fail is much better than simple acceptance is is where i'm where i'm where i'm going to leave my my end statement on on it yep still scratching my head on that one but we'll we'll go on to the next topic (laughs) well going back to well if it passes for simple acceptance and fails when you when you use method five and, and, and you have the option of, here's the two options. You have the option of the customer says either go simple acceptance or give me a non-pass. What would you rather, what would you, what would you feel more comfortable sending them out when you only have two options? Is that a question that you want me to answer? Or is that rhetorical? you only have two options? Yeah, you can a- answer. Would you, would you switch to simple acceptance or would you, or would you say, Hey, this is, you know, this is a, you know, we're not going to issue a past. Yeah. It, again, in our lab, that's a false dichotomy. We, we either say pass it. or fail. That's not industry. Yep. Yeah. I, I hear that part of it. I get you, but you know, if, if, Hey, if you're building lawnmowers and pocket watches, you probably don't care much about risk, but when you're building airplanes, we, we care about risk and we know how to make a decision rule and a conformity well, I statement. About, I care about them with lawnmowers. So I had a friend that chopped his toe well, off true. With a lawnmower and I, in my lawnmower, my lawnmower blew out one time. I was just, I was just, uh, just pushing it, and the whole side just blew off. And it's, it was like twelve years old. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a reputable manufacturer, and they replaced the whole thing. They mm-hmm. said this should never happen, and they just replaced it. I wasn't hurt because it blew out the, you know, blew out the front side, uh, so no damage yeah. to me. But yeah, but it could. Yikes. I mean, if you were there you're doing something else, or grass was stuck, and you're cleaning it out, and it blows out, that that could have. So light switches, we've all we've we've probably all installed those with the power on and seen the spark. I mean, <laughs> no, never. <laughs> so we do stupid stuff. I mean, it's 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 what it is. Yeah. But no, I do agree. I I want to I, I want to just for the audience and everybody out there. I, I wish the world was as simple as is is black and white. And I and I agree that these standards may be going down the wrong path uh, and not the path that that was originally intended because you have an instrument you agree on something you shouldn't backtrack that agreement just because you didn't get the answer you want and because your headache because you're going to have a large headache uh from from a potential recall right that's what it usually is it's the implications of that fail is usually why the pressure comes in i wanted to circle back um and because we're you know we're we're sitting here at almost two hours we're 20 minutes from two hours here I wanted to wrap back around uh, to how as a community do we solve it? We've established well enough education, you know, and and um, us as a school, we're definitely going to do our part. Is there that you guys are aware of, and we're mentioning some of the problems with possibly the way that um, these documents are being written. Do you guys feel like we have, like, is anyone on this issue or are we really kind of, first cracking this open for the industry or do you guys know of anyone that's Mm. looking into this in these in these committees or or anything yeah so i can kind of speak to that a little bit the uh, asc z540 committee that's uh at at ntsli they're the stewards if you will of z540 um as i referenced earlier z540.3 and the dot two uh gum were recently voted to officially be withdrawn so if you were to go out to ANSI's website right now, it would officially list Z540.3 as withdrawn. There was a subcommittee that was assembled to look into the differences of Z540.3 and 17025 and find the missing pieces that weren't carried, that, that are not in 17025, and to look into potentially developing a document that bridges that gap that NCSLI could potentially publish. Uh, that committee is being chaired by, oh, forgive me, I forget his name, 
but they are moving forward with potentially coming up with with that bridge document. Um, that is the only movement I know right now. And that would specifically, you know, in, in my mind, there's there's the one biggie that that isn't pulled forward in 17025 is is that uh, 2% PFA or four to one TUR. Can you mention minimum what the risk PFA requirement is? I, I you guys threw that around and I'm not even quite sure PFA. Oh, we forgot to define our terms, Henry. Yep. Probability, probability of false, of false accept. accept. There you have it in unison. There we go. <laughs> probability so of that, false accept. Got it. Yeah. And then PFR is its uh, inverted mate, the probability of false reject. So um, just to take a quick sidestep, PFA, the probability of falsely accepting a unit, product, test point, et cetera. And, and that is if I say it passed, but the test point was actually outside of specification, um, that would be a, a risk that I am now sending a bad unit into service. And so that represents what we call a consumer's risk, where we've, we've put a bad unit into service to, uh, to, to, to make measurements. So there is some people on it. It's, it's just weird for me to, to hear all these things and to see such discussions that occur, you know, and I, just like Henry, I love having these discussions, but I feel like I'm newer to the discussion. So I, I really sit back and soak a lot of this in, but when I, when I see the discussion happening and then the different points of view and them being so vastly different from each other, it's just, is so concerning. So, uh, I, I always hope that there is eyes out, eyes and ears outside of even my, our own, you know, on top of these things. Well, I hope so. so. And hope, and hope, uh, yeah. I mean, the standards are out there vastly, like I said, they're, they're, they're getting, some are getting better. Some are getting worse. Some are not picking things up as, you know, Travis said, uh, ILAC G8 defines uh, TUR differently than ANSI Z540.3. And the dot three definition is is much more complete in the fact that it accounts for uh, non-symmetrical tolerances where the uh, G8 does not. So there's, I mean, people, at, at, we're all human, right? That so far until we get AI and, you know, that, you know, wipes us out like, you know, Cyberdyne and Skynet and whatnot. Um, but in the end, right? We make mistakes, we omit things, we forget things. And the, 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 the goal is that you have these committees that you have enough sharp people on them that things don't get by them. And like these simple things, even that ILAC G8 definition, uh, I mean, what do, what do you do if a tolerance isn't symmetrical with that TUR definition? Like I said, ANSI Z540.3 handbook, uh, I, I hope you can have Scott Mims on at some point because it, it really, there's nothing else out there that's that that is as complete and defining exactly what we're talking to, at least to my yeah. knowledge. Maybe Travis knows a, a better standard, but mm. it, it it's it's complete. So they it's voted. A hard read. It's a hard read, but they readers they voted, beware. They voted out point two. There's really nothing significant about that, right? Because we have yeah, we have JCGM so. uh, dot three. There is there is there is some differences between the seventeen oh two five twenty seventeen standard. There's and it for sure. And their guidance when we talk about decision rules. Where's the document that has all the decision rules? You know, in it. It's only only dot three. Uh, a dot three handbook is the only one that has a has them in. Mm-hmm. I mean, my decision rule to, to be devil's advocate here, basically, Travis, again, I could say, hey, my decision rule, Travis, that uh, I want you to do this for me. And my decision rule is uh, pass anything that is tolerance plus uncertainty. Tolerance plus uncertainty, not plus minus. Uncertainty. Right. Somebody doesn't care about risk. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Where does hey, it say we can't know, have that? That, no, that's fine. If if that's yeah. your decision rule, then then you, you know I think that is the the crux of the matter, right? Z five forty dot three was put together by the industries in America that were risk averse, right? Department of Defense, Aerospace. Yep. Uh, I think there were some medical guys on it, but the international standard is written more generically for for everybody, and that's why it is emitting that minimum risk requirement because you have to know what your risk level is. 
And now the challenge for us customers is to be able to communicate what our minimum risk level is to our calibration labs. And uh, I'll say it again, a lot of customers don't know that. So yeah, it's education on our part. And, and then again, the, the calibration labs need to understand how to accept my minimum risk requirements and what to do about it. Don't just push back and tell me, no, I can't do that. Um, okay, I'll go find somebody else. <laughs> but then also the accreditation bodies, uh, I'm bringing those three pieces in again on you, Ryan. Uh, all three pieces of this puzzle need to come together and understand why measurement decision risk is important and ensure it's being calculated, agreed upon, et cetera. And that, sure. those processes are breaking down. There's, there's just no question about it. Those are breaking down and it needs help. Sure. I think that's a good spot to pivot. Uh, you know, we have maybe 10, 15 minutes uh, left. Mm -hmm. Why don't why don't we talk about some actionable items for the listeners? You know, we have if we have a, a technician, if we have a, a manager of a lab, what would your recommendations be? What can some of our listeners do to start making an impact on their own little world? Well, Travis probably has some good things and I, I can add after he, he speaks as well. I think we need to define risk. Yeah, I mean, we, we were pretty good on measurement decision risk, but but really for the listener out there, when we're looking at risk or overall risk or measurement, it's, it's really comes down to, uh, I think we can boil this down to something general that where you say, hey, uh, we're talking about a probability of something occurring and the impact. And uh, Travis mm -hmm. made mention a, a lot, you know, a stopwatch. Well, not a stopwatch, uh, a hand watch. If Probably you watch. have a hand watch and it stops working, what's going to be the impact? Are you going to be late for an important meeting? Uh, you probably have a phone and a backup, and there's probably not much impact other than just, you know, habitually you like to look at your watch to see what the t time it is, and now you're going to look at your phone, right? But when you're dealing with other things such as aerospace missiles or something else, you know, a screw coming loose on a missile, the impact could be killing how many innocent civilians and missing the target. So that uh, the probability is if everything's together um, and you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's, hopefully the probability is reduced. It's probably never zero, but it's reduced. Right. And and the risk is is gigantic. So you're going to take the utmost scrutiny for everything along in the process. So it's really and you think about it every day, every just in everyday life, the probability. To, what's the probability if I get on this flight and, and Travis may know it's what, what, what are our odds of dying in a car accident or what? Like just just in general, one in five thousand and, and some if we, if we start looking at it. I don't know uh, numbers, to be honest. Yeah, just general. There's general numbers. The, the the flight one, they say you have a more of a chance of getting struck by lightning. Then why is that? Well, is that going to change? Uh, it's because the people uh, like Travis and, and his company are doing all the right things, right? They're looking at that probability and those probability and impact numbers and saying, if we don't do this, there's going to be some serious consequences. So for all those that when we talk about risk, just think, yeah, probability of occurrence and the impact. You know, if my shipping person doesn't show up for work today, somebody else is probably going to pack boxes, right? Things, work's going to function and everything else. If I'm in Texas and my power gets turned off and I'm a calibration lab, the impact's going to, going to hurt not only me as a business, because I'm nothing's getting done without any power anymore, and at home and uh, the other climates. So, uh, yeah, you, you have to start thinking about it. And what's your risk tolerance? What what can you uh, what can you do? Uh, someone may say, "Hey, I have zero risk tolerance for this, so now I need a second calibration laboratory somewhere else, just in case this area of the country floods if I'm in a flood zone or or whatnot." So, it's 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 a business decision. Us as leaders, metrologists, whatever we want to brand ourselves at. You know, this discussion has a probability and an impact. What is the impact if the people on these committees continue to push these things, like not accounting for resolution and bad measure, I shouldn't say bad, or measurement practices that that raise the level of risk to the, to, to the end user? What is that impact, right? The probability that they're going to do it right now is very, very high. What is the overall impact? And that's your listeners should think about that. You know, they've just started doing it. We may not know for five to ten years the full extent of of what happens if we 
if we continue down this path. Yeah. So maybe they can, uh, you know, and I, I'm thinking technicians themselves can start asking more questions, you know, is, is they're the kind of where the rubber meets the road, you know, and, and sometimes is that main interaction with someone when something fails and maybe talking about some of those risk factors with measurements like that. But I, it's hard for me to think of good actionable solutions because I see the problem being labs are going to struggle to, I don't want to say care about this, but to start moving on this until they're forced to. Mm -hmm. That's probably true. Yeah. So how do we solve it? Travis, what do you, 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 you have your, you have your, he has his stool. I have my measurements stool that, you know, yeah. processes, procedures, uh, equipment. What's Travis has his, his with the, uh, you know, accreditation body and the customer. Mm -hmm. How do we solve, you know, it's a, education, 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 education. Yeah. I guess that, like yeah. Said there. So let me try to poke my answer in there. What, what actionable items can we take? And, and I'll, I'll take, um, the comment you made, Henry, is a stepping stone. It, the first point is to assess your risk, and it depends on the industry that you're uh, serving. Uh, commercial Cal Lab, you're going to be serving all industries. So I would speak to you and say, Mr. Lab Manager, please understand you have high-risk customers, and they've got some really, really important information that you need to know and take action on. You need to understand what measurement decision risk is. Accreditation bodies, you've got some customers doing some really, really, really important measurements, and you need to understand what measurement decision risk is and make sure those technical requirements are flowing back and forth. If that contract review process breaks down, you've put lives at risk and you got to sleep with yourself at night. Customers, if you're in a high risk business, uh, I'm going to give one specific bit of information here. Go download a NASA technical report. It was written by Scott Mims. Henry's laughing. He knows exactly what it was. It's an easy read. I promise you it's not going to flood you. The thing's only 14 pages long. It's called the, the title of it, and put this in your favorite search engine, Measurement Decision Risk, The Importance of Definitions. It was written by Scott Mims. It's a, it was meant to be a transition paper from TARs, where we had that simple rule of thumb and getting us over to TURs. And, and, and he just has some real practical information. This one meant a lot to me many years ago when I was trying to, to dig myself out of the TA, TAR hole. And, and this was a highly impactful paper. It put it in really good to understand terms. Maybe someday I'll meet Scott Mims and buy him a beer. But it was such a well-written paper. Go download it. You can find it. If you can't find it, contact I one can of put us. A, if you want to send it to me, I can link it in the description of the podcast. Let's do that. Yeah. 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 Put, put I quote it quite a bit. <laughs> That's what I'm laughing at, Travis. Well, I, yeah, I do too. I, it's in many of my <laughs> presentations as well. That was going to yeah. be my follow-on question to both of you is where do they go from here? You know, because you guys mentioned easy read, hard read. And I know a lot of people don't have time to go like, okay, I'll just go pick up this entire standard and read it. That's a good resource. 14 <laughs> pages is easy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it, I mean, we'll probably have to, I, I know I'll commit to working on getting some sort of training out there that uh, we can offer as far as being better at, um, because I think people might need a process and Travis, mm -hmm. I, I might have to pick your brain on some of it because the stuff you do, I'm sure is very important um, or a, a, a possible skill that maybe some people don't have of looking at these certificates and um, analyzing some of the calibration stuff that they're getting. So yeah, there, there was some, some movement specifically on analyzing calibration certificates at the NCSLI level. There was, there was going to be an RP published and then COVID hit last year. So stand by, okay. that could be coming in. Okay, great. Yeah, and I'll try and keep people updated yeah. with that. Mm -hmm. Henry, do you know of any other resources? I know you teach a lot about, because I know you use the parking the, the parking spot, and you actually bring up bell curves. I think as, as scary as um, graphs and math is, sometimes it's good for people to actually see that graphical demonstration of, of uh of a decision rule and, and how some of the cows that we're doing is really fattening that, that thing up. Yeah. It's all, it's all about, so yeah. So it's the insert. This is another two hour discussion, Ryan, because what goes into that uncertainty budget? <laughs> right. Really? Because we're, we're talking about risk, but we, we we're kind of talking about the end game here. The, the beginning game is making sure labs are doing their uncertainties 
and calculating their uncertainties properly, right? So they can demonstrate the, the metrological traceability. We got the big win uh, that's saying now that the ABs are going to have to report uncertainty. There's not going to be any any means if or not or the the labs that are credit are going to have to report uncertainty. The next win that we'd like to see is the uh, decision rule, right? So we got one. We got the first one down. Uh, though we still need to de determine what goes into that uncertainty budget because that is all over the place. I see a lot. I help a lot of labs out with it. And a lot of them just throw manufacturer specifications in without making any measurements, doing the interactions. And that might be okay in some disciplines, but it's it's not okay with the mechanical disciplines of force torque. And I know it's not okay with pressure. The little that I do know about pressure, I know, I know it's not okay there uh, either. Yeah, I so, know. Uh, I, yeah. I'm sure I'm not alone that, you know, if I was sitting here listening to this podcast, I'm going to be doing some self-evaluation um, and trying to think of, you know, are we a part of this problem that they're talking about? Is there an easy way for people to know if they're if they're in the danger zone? Is it mostly, um, I don't know, should they be comparing themselves with other labs uh, and, and they're on their uncertainties i mean i i don't have the answer i'm too new at this this topic but is there a way that someone listening could sit there and be like oh yeah we're part of this and maybe they didn't realize it that's a good question ryan if you've never had a discussion with your customer mr commercial lab about measurement <laughs> decision risk or about decision rules you're part of the problem Kind of feel like Jeff Fox, where you might be a redneck. I could come up right. with a bunch of these. <laughs> or yeah, maybe you you've never had the discussion with your technicians. I think that's uh, probably a good one. You haven't if, even brought this up. Yeah, if your acquisition department, the, the orders department, have never asked the uh, the the customer what their decision rules are, you're probably part of the problem. Yeah, if they're because I know a lot of places will just ask what accuracy do you need? How how you know. Yeah. They'll basically ask them, what tolerance do you need? Yeah, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I'm in the wrong, but if they, you know, on, on this one, like I said, we're, we're using method. If somebody sends us something with a tolerance, we're using method five and we, we haven't had our customers push back on us. So yeah, I feel sure. very blessed on that because that's a conservative specification. It's very conservative. Yep. Yeah. So that will be appropriate for most industries across the U.S. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, I, it, that's where G8 used to be. What, what, mm. what happened? You know, when I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not uh, saying you guys have every answer or anything. I'm, some of these questions are just the ones that are popping to my head, you know, that because I'm trying to myself wrap my head around this problem and how it's interesting how we got here <laughs> and then how, how do we dig ourselves out? Yeah. And what do you, what do you do too? Like, so mm -hmm. having the discussion on risk is what it's a difficult discussion, uh, really for labs. And, the, you, you know, uh, like I said, the, the, some, some labs have simple acceptances. That's what they do. They put it, they put it out there for the customers. Others like us are doing using method five. We, I, I like I said, I, I would say 99.99% of our, uh, our calibrations, if there, if there's, if we're asked for a conformity assessment, is going to be method five, and the PFA is going to be reported. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of our customers might not even be be okay, and they haven't told us otherwise. Like I said, the discussion though is is the is the very difficult part. Is if somebody starts throwing you know things in the wind uh, that that you are fundamentally not capable of dealing with. Like I said earlier, I was being really ridiculous on uh, uh, the, you know, a tolerance plus uncertainty, but it's not out of the realm for, for somebody to want a sticker that says pass and they, they will get it at all costs. So mm -hmm. I, I really think people need to be educated on who absorbs the risk. Is, is the Calab absorbing it for me? And that's the stance we're taking, right? By doing method five and being conservative, we're absorbing it for them. Uh, we're probably doing a lot more adjustments than what we need to do. And that's how I would like to run 
my business for the sake and and our employees as well you know they're they're awesome people but i would like i would like industry to do that and i know it's what i want and it's not what industry is going to do but we can determine it on our company level and do it and help make the world a safer place are we if somebody came up and said i wanted method one method two test limit are all the labs capable of having you should have the discussion though but are labs capable of some of these uh statistical methods and some of the methods travis uh you know not digging too deep in it we don't have time some of the methods require you to do like a lot of sampling and and yep. right and as a commercial lab can you do it i mean if somebody asks us i'd be like We've only seen, you're the only one sending us this manufacturer equipment. We're not going to be able to do this. Right? Yeah. Well, that happens. Yeah. A one of a, not a one of a kind, but the, like for what you've seen at a lab, you know, you get some stuff that's just wild sometimes that you'd never seen before. Yeah. Education, uh, really education on, on multiple fronts. Uh, what are you getting? If we all know the right rules, I wrote this down and we didn't talk about it, but if it's, it's really understanding the rules, is it not? If we, if we're all playing by the same rules and know the right rules. Yep. And the referees can't look the other way when there's a violation either. Right. Right. Exactly. So they're not looking the other way. That's your accreditation bodies. They're not looking the wrong way when people are, are not following published standards. We have one lab. We have, we, we, I know somebody that's, they've been, it's been informed. They're not fo following a published standard, a C74 standard, and they just keep doing it. But, you know, they keep doing it and I, no one says anything other. Well, yeah, I was going to add that, you know, those people that want just the sticker, which I, I have seen quite a bit of that as well. They're, I think they're, at least in the near future, they're always going to be able to find a provider <laughs> that will do that for them. But hopefully, hopefully through discussions like this and, and, you know, this is for those listening, this is the beginning, you know, and, and I'm just learning about all of this stuff. And so I'm thankful that both of you come in to help educate me and the listeners but this is, you know, just the first step of getting the discussion out there. And I'm hoping others will start chiming in, whether it's, you know, in rebuttal to what we're saying, you know, that's fine. Let's have the discussion. Have the discussion. Uh, have yeah. a moderated debate. I'd love to see that. Well, we can fit a lot of people in this in Zoom, I think. Oh, it's, true. it's true. Have people raise hands. And, and but the I, moderator can mute people too, unlike other forums. Well, that's right. Sorry, <laughs> a la presidential debates. <laughs> right. Well, I I don't uh, I don't have any other notes that I took that I wanted to make sure to hit. Um, but I definitely have, you know, I'm I'm excited to see if we get any responses. You know, and and um, I know Greg wanted to has his point of views. I definitely want to get him on as well to yeah. to chat about these things. But any of you listening out there, please, hit, you know reach out to us. You can reach out to us at information at signcalibration.com. We're still working on that, uh, our mailbag email. Just use the sign calibration one for now. But, uh, you know, so that we can bring it up in a, a future discussion. But I think you guys laid out your points really well. And I understand it better, especially from the previous discussion and then you guys clarifying a lot of this. And I all agree that education is going to be very very key but i think it's more education than i was thinking and it in much varied you know as far as labs mm -hmm. customers technicians it's just an all-around thing you know it's yeah it's it's big so gentlemen today was a pleasure um and i think we covered a lot of topics and i and i know we're going to open up some conversations um travis i appreciate your time extremely happy to have you on henry it's always a pleasure uh did any of you have any parting shots hey great to have uh, to be on here today ryan thanks so much for the invite and henry it's good to be with you sir yeah uh ryan this was just probably the the quickest two hours of of my week in several weeks uh it's just mm -hmm. just an absolute honor to be on here with uh, both yourself and and travis for sure and maybe we can get uh one or both of you back in on some of these other discussions as other people come in it'd be great to be back great absolutely well thanks once again and uh thank you everyone for listening
everybody, thank you once again for listening. Don't forget another episode, another part of the discussion next week.